Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Well, we are very happy to say that this episode has been sponsored by Masterworks. Masterworks turning out to be fantastic supporters of this podcast. And we're very grateful, aren't we, Tony? Yeah, they're back. We love a bit of Masterworks. Uh, Essentially, if you don't know, Masterworks allows you to invest in incredible artwork. If you are into your art, you'll probably know more artists than we do. (laughs) Uh, I know the really famous ones, I think, and... Hey, Masterworks have some of their paintings, Picasso, Monet, Banksy, etc. I just, I like looking at stuff. I just don't always know much about it. But they do. They do. Yeah. And the one thing which we all know is just how valuable some of these paintings can be. It's endlessly articles and news stories coming out of uh, X paintings selling for $50 million. It's yeah, really up there as one of yeah. the best uh, investment assets. And yeah, so far today, uh, Masterworks has had over $700 million invested in their platform. They've got nearly 700,000 users. Some of their returns are crazy. Uh, a recent sale a saw a return of 15.4% in just 36 days. Yeah, that is incredible to be fair. Could but- you imagine buying a car and 30 days later... It going up by 15%. Uh, yeah, so that that is the real big difference between that and my job. I mean, I, I sell a depreciating asset. That's an appreciating asset. 100%. Yeah. So whether you're an art buff or nerd that's felt priced out of the market because of the insane insane values, or you're looking at someone who's maybe trying to make a quick buck because 36 days, that is a speedy old turnaround. Uh, it's well worth going to check out Masterworks. We're very grateful for them for sponsoring an episode. Huge thanks. Now we'll crack on with the episode. Hello one and all, and welcome to Behind the Glass, your weekly automotive podcast hosted by two rather uninformed enthusiasts. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I'm Sam from the YouTube channel Seen Through Glass. I'm Tony from Gravelwood Car Sales. And you can watch us each week on YouTube. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most podcast players. We hope you enjoy the episode. I I launched on Sunday on the channel, the start of Test Drive Month. Did you know I was doing this? What, on your main channel? On my main channel, yeah. Test Drive Month I launched. We started something like that about six or seven years ago <laughs> when we first met. <laughs> we did. It was the Hunt 4. What was I replacing? The F-Type replacement. Was it probably one of your best watch series, that? You know what? I I'll give it's it to you. Far it's, yeah, it's up there. Yeah. The Hunt for my F-Type replacement. Yeah. All of those series, the Minex Daily series, the Minex Supercar, whatever it might be, they always do very well. But yeah, we did five or six videos test driving different cars that could replace my F-Type, and they all did perform very well. And you know the, 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 the most shocking thing? That if you go back and watch them videos now, I mean, even the professional that you were even back then, 
when you go back and I mean, I was terrible back then. I'm terrible <laughs> now. But what I'm saying same, is same, same, same. But 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 you was loads more professional than I was. I was absolutely clueless. But when you go back and watch them now, you realise like how bad we were we were (laughs) (laughs) and maybe we still are maybe in two years time we'll listen back to this episode and go god we were useless what was we talking about about? (laughs) but yeah so anyways i launched thing test drive month and it's because well multiple reasons the start of this year has been insane i've been all over the world i went to austria in the gt3 patagonia with porsche i went to uh, spain with jaguar i mean the trips have been thick and fast and amazing yeah I just need to draw breath and actually catch up with my daughter because as a lot of people have noticed. She's four now. (laughs) (laughs) I've been away a lot. I do genuinely have the most understanding and amazing wife uh, who is turning out to be also the most incredible mother. Um, And yeah, has been doing a great job. Has been doing an amazing job at raising my daughter because I haven't been around. So In in short, ladies and gentlemen, they probably had a row at the weekend and he's sucking up. (laughs) I was like, yeah, okay. Don't worry, babe. I'll do test drive, man. I'm not going anywhere. I'll shout you out on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> she would not care less. No, of course she wouldn't. But yeah, because I've been traveling so much, and actually I'm about to do a whole load more traveling, I want to take a month just to base myself here in the UK. It's supposed to be the start of spring. I was hoping that the weather would be a little bit it's nicer. Pouring hard all, I mean, every day. I'm so, I don't want to get into it, but I'm so bored of this weather. It makes filming just impossible yeah um but yeah i'm here I, I i put out i went to see i went up to alexander's prestige to catch up with the legend that is andrew uh drove a dbs and a bentley continental gtv8 in a super gt shootout even though i didn't drive it decided the roma was the best of the bunch <laughs> well you um, didn't drive any of them no i drove the dbs and the bentley and talked about the turbo s and the roma it was a four car comparison and you drove, picked the roma two of them i think i picked the roma dbs really surprised me but anyway, i don't remember go, no, no, as in, I think I would pick a, a, the Roma, I think. Right. But the DBS really surprised me, and I love the Bentley. Right. Turbo S, disappointment. Right. Yeah, but you, 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 you're blasé about that Turbo S now. You, you love that car, and then, you, remember, you, you... I still love that car, right. mate, but when you compare it to the other three, it falls short in so many areas. Yeah, I disagree. I do think the Turbo S is still all round the best one, and then I'd have to... Oh my god! Can't believe I'm going to say this. Uh, it would be a real toss-up between the Roma and the Bentley. You wouldn't have the DBS. Uh, uh, no, have you I, driven a DBS? No. Ah. But I, I would, I would uh, instantly, because of my not so much of a love for Aston, my I would instantly dis- discard. But but I have always been a little bit aloof about the DBS because I had driven it once years ago in Carmel, admittedly in traffic. And I was just a bit like, it's just a loud DB11. Like I was a bit mm. like, Meh. but, and Andrew said the same thing. Both of us were blown away by that car on that day. It, it was surprisingly fun. Um, <sighs> I really like the Bentley. Mm, so do I. I do really like the Bentley. And obviously I owned a Roma, which was also a good car. They all do it really yeah. differently. It's, it's it's like, really, <laughs> it just comes down to how about how do you want to go about yeah. doing that job? Because they all are basically fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, so that, that was amazing. Uh, popped to DK Engineering, drove an SL65 Black Series, which was kind of unbelievable. One of an, my... An, an SL65 Black Series. Mercedes SL65. Y- y- didn't they have a, 
haven't they got an AMG Black Series there as well? Yeah, the it, it, AMG GT Black Series. Yeah, SL65. I really do still want one of them. Do you? I do, mate. Yeah, they're still mm. too expensive at the moment, but I do genuinely. In fact, I'll go on record and say I am going to buy one of them. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. at some at some oh, point, God, I, I am going to buy one of them cars. It would suit you a lot. It would yeah. really suit you. It's a it's a it's a it's a great car, but for me. The idea, at least, of the SL65 is more what I think of Black Series. You know, the GT Black Series is just death. brilliant. The SL65 is not just death. It's just death. Yeah. that's For me, that's what a Black Series should be. Yeah. Fact. Instant death. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually going back to DK Engineering to drive a manual Ferrari 575, which I'm looking forward to a lot, because that's a car that actually I think could one day be my next Ferrari always talking about the idea that I would love to add another Ferrari alongside the 360. Is that not a front-engine V12 thing? Yes. Manual? Yeah. That's a disaster. One of the last manuals, because 599, they only made about six manual 599. But they did do... Isn't there a convertible manual knocking around as well? Like a one-of-one one thing? Of what? 599... I want... So Aperta manual. An SA Aperta manual. I wonder if it's a factory. If it's a factory car... Find me that car. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, should, uh, <laughs> come Done on. you and I. Come on. We because I think, I, I think I've, I've seen that. I've seen, I might, I might be wrong, but I think I've seen manual, I like a one of one a thing. Maybe it's a different model. I don't know. Uh, no. I think it, they could have done a manual conversion, obviously. Right. But I don't know if they actually did. Were it, any 599 SA Aperta's manual? Only 30 examples were produced with a manual gearbox, of which 20 were destined, blah, blah, blah. That's just the 599 in general. I don't think so. No, mate. maybe it was another car then. And and they, there is such a thing as a GTO Aperta, isn't there? No. So the, the right. my understanding is the SA Aperta is somewhere between a 599 GTB and a 599 GTO, but it's convertible or it's roofless. So it's an older version of an 812 GTS. Is that is that? Uh, yeah, yes, but it was super limited. So prior to the 812 GTS, Ferrari would only do convertible or roofless versions of their V12 flagship GT in very limited numbers. Yeah. Do you remember when they launched the GTS? I got all of my high prancing horse and was like oh my god they're ruining this iconically limited <laughs> I was a real dick and then you it. loved it and then I absolutely loved it yeah. which I did say at the time so I know I'm going to love it but I just I didn't like the idea that suddenly this this real flagship model for Ferrari suddenly became available to the masses uh, but it is what it is who am I to tell Ferrari what to do clearly I'm wrong <laughs> um, so yeah so there, it's an essay aperta I believe feel free to correct me in the comment section but I believe it, it's, some, it's got a bit of GTB and a bit of GTO parts. Roof comes down. Fair. Um, but very exclusive. Very exclusive. Right. Uh, five yeah, manual is what I'm going to drive. What else have we got? Uh, M3 Touring. That video goes live on Sunday. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, Toyota GR86. Well, I'm glad you've mentioned that car. Oh, okay. Because that, I see that car getting mentioned quite a lot lately. And people are half forgetting the daddy of that concoction, that small engine manual rear wheel drive car, and that's the MX5. 
I don't think people are forgetting it, mate. I think I think people think that, that GTA eighty six is going to be same thing. Nope. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what I mean. Yeah. I think they think that that's going to be the new MX five. But I think the MX five is still the best selling car, right? In that in that sector. Uh, so so I'm going to try and correct you, and hopefully I've got this right. The GR86 is extremely limited. Yeah. Because not it's not numbered, but because of Toyota's global emissions output, etc. I think there's only like 500 cars coming to the UK or Europe. It's only or something. a little engine, though, mate. It's only a little engine, but hold on a second. I need to remind myself exactly why this is. But why is the GR86 limited? Um, it's only on sale for two years to yeah to comply with the strict new regulations. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so it's, uh, I don't think it's necessarily to do with the emissions. It's something else. It's something a bit bizarre. Hold on a sec. Let me see. In order to comply with this, uh, in 2024, new European safety protocols will come into force, and vehicles that do not comply with these general safety regulations too will not be allowed to be sold. Okay. So there's something within that GR86, which, yeah, wouldn't allow it to be sold. So it's a very limited run, essentially. Fair. So it's, I don't think it's like that, up going up against an MX-5 okay. in that sense. Same formula, though. Very much the same yeah. formula of, you know, light, nice amount of power, yeah. you know, affordable, yeah. theoretically. Yeah, that's it. And yeah, people have absolutely loved it. I mean, you'll have to wait to hear my opinions in the main video, but people have gone absolutely nuts about well, it. You've actually what, drove it. Yeah, that's why I asked to buy one because people have been getting absolutely nuts about it. I thought I better, better find out what it's all about. Yeah. So, you drive it on the road or on the track? On the road. Right. It's a road car. Of course. It's a road car. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, this weekend, I'm actually off to Lamborghini. I'm off to Italy. Are you? Yeah. With so, Paul Wallace? Not with Paul Wallace. Off the back of our uneducated chat last week about the Revuelto. Oh, yeah. I'm off to see it. Are you? I'm off to see it. Um, You're going to drive it? I'm not going to drive it, unfortunately. No one's driving it. I'm actually going to be driving Eurus Performante, I think, and LM002, so the oldest and the newest Lamborghini SUVs. I wonder if I wonder if you'll be able to tell the difference between the Urus Performante and the normal one. And the Urus. Just, oh, well, the Urus S, Urus Performante, Urus, <laughs> and the LM002. Because I've seen them all side by side. Yeah. And honestly, mate, apart from a, the wheels and a little bit of a lip on the rear wing, you can't tell the difference. Can I be honest? <laughs> I'm only going to drive the LM002 because I've always wanted to drive one and to see the Revuelto. I've got to be honest, and hopefully Lamborghini don't listen. I'm really not that fussed about the Urus Performante because I really like the Urus. I think it's brilliant. It is brilliant. I, I actually think it's the best of that super SUV segment. That's the first time you've ever said that, but okay. No, no, I think I have said that before. I think you it's the best. You me off when I said it's the best one. Well, since I drove it in Australia again, I think it is the best. I agree. In that segment. I just have for the Ben Taker. Anyway, long story short. <laughs> I don't imagine the mm. Performante is going to be like night and day different. I, I could be wrong. So I'm just a bit like, cool that it's there and I'll drive it. Great. I'm sure I really like it. But I'm coming for the Revuelto and the LM02. I would say the difference in comparison would be like a normal RS6 and an RS6 performance. Yeah. Probably not a great deal of difference. But still, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. It's 48 hours in Italy driving Lamborghinis. Yeah. Brilliant. Perfect. Can't wait. So yeah, so that's test drive month. Um, it's going to be running across the channel for the rest of April. Before then, I launch into some more big, big adventures. Uh, taking the GT3 into Europe, 
probably going to do its first track day. <laughs> Where are you going? Kind of pooping myself. Do you want to take my one instead? Yeah, Because I've got a PDK one. <laughs> no, not because it's PDK. Why then? It's because if I write it off, I'll kill oh, it. I've still got to pay for it. <laughs> no. Um, uh, taking the 360 on a huge adventure, which is going down to AV Engineering to be prepared for, like a terrifyingly huge adventure, and then ending up at Marinella Legacy in Portugal with it. So that'll be very cool. And then the the month in in Monaco that I'll be doing, where I've got the Range Rover Sport and the GT3. Yeah, yeah, I'm so coming. I'm coming. I'm you're going to come up. down, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. So we're going to do some podcasts there. So yeah, lots and lots of adventures ahead. But yeah, it, it's it's a frantic time, and actually, it's a good segue to bring us on to something that we kind of wanted to announce or mention. Yeah, is that because things are so hectic, especially this year? Well, over and above every year, it's been hectic. We kind of feel like we need slash want some help, right? We need a bit of help, I think. Yeah. We've got a lot of new series that we're bringing into, into what do we call it? Into production mm-hmm. this year. Um, you've already known about Car Park Chat. We're doing the F1 special series over on Recast. We've got a new series coming up called Stars and Their Cars, which you'll probably be able to work out what that's all about. Um, we've got the live shows, which we're about to announce the dates for. Tickets aren't going to go on sale probably to the end of the month, but we can let you know the dates. Um, and we're even looking at doing the first behind-the-glass tour that you could come on. So yeah. we're going to do Australia in November. I mean, there's a lot happening. There's a load happening, yeah. So we think we want to bring in a researcher slash producer. It will be a part-time role, probably one or two days a week. Uh, most of it can be done remotely, but we want someone who can come to the studio and be here as we're recording, um, but also come to the live events, things like that. Not always, but sometimes. Ideally, it's someone who has experience with video editing, you don't have to be a complete whiz, but some experience in video editing. And really the main skill is an absolute obsessive, compulsive, scary, freakish knowledge of the automotive world. Yeah. Because we want to use this person to help formalize the episodes a bit. So to work on topics, to uh, do the research in advance. So we have a little bit more information as to what we're talking about. Um, to call us out when we're just talking absolute crap, wave their arms frantically. Go, so, so every episode, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you you're, better be here. You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> we do like a fact check. If you listen to um, Dak Shepard's armchair expert at the end of that episode, they do a fact check. Do they? Yeah, where his sidekick slash producer basically calls him out on all the stuff that he Goes made in on up. Him. Yeah, yeah. So we'll sort of do a similar thing to that. So yeah, long story short, uh, we're looking for this person. So yeah, ideally southeast of England based, UK based. One two yeah, days a week. UK, got to be UK. Got to be UK based. based. Yeah. One two days a week. I say obsessive compulsive just nerdiness in terms of the automotive world. Um, if you think that's you, you can get in touch. Jobs at seenthroughglass.com. That's jobs at seenthroughglass.com. What we want you to do is write an email with three proposed topics for a podcast. So you could say, right, I would suggest you do top five cars of the 1990s. A few bullet points saying, right, these are our suggestions. Here's some cars you could discuss. Here's things you should know about. Just to basically brief us. So we, that's what you want to do. You want to do jobs at seenthroughglass.com and three topic suggestions. Yeah. And that's how we'll through. And then hopefully we'll get in touch with some of you and then bring someone on. As I say, part-time role, not full-time. So um, you could potentially do it alongside some, some other work. Uh, so that's that. And then the live shows, which you mentioned, should we just shout out the date so you can start putting them in your diaries? Because we are in the final stages of planning our UK live shows for the year. So dates that you can put in your diary. 25th of, Sunday, 25th of June. Uh, Sunday, 30th of July. 
Sunday 27th of August, Sunday 17th of September, and the Sunday 29th of October. So put those dates in your diary. More information and tickets will go on sale probably at the end of the month. We're going to hopefully have slightly bigger audiences, slightly different timetable. Um, and then in November, we're off to Australia. So if you're in Australia... We're coming. We're coming. <laughs> if you have a venue... We, I've asked this before, and lots of you got in touch. If you have a venue, if you have ideas, things like that, Australia, for November, please get in touch. But yeah, once again, dates for Behind the Glass Live in the UK this year. It's 25th of June, uh, 20, uh, 30th of July, 27th of August, 17th of September, and the 29th of October. But genuinely, mate, if we're going to Australia... Yeah? Can, can they... Can they put the sharks and the crocodiles away? Oh, mate, we're not getting in the sea. I'm terrified of the sea. I'm not, I'm, because I, I, I want to come back. I don't want to come back legless. It's not the crocodiles and the sharks you need to worry about. What? It's, really? It's the drop bears. The, the what? <laughs> That's a joke. The, the Australians were going, oh, Sam, you joker. Uh, apparently, it's a way that they like to wind up visitors, and especially English people, by wanting the drop bears, things that don't actually exist. But no, mate, it's the insects. It's the insects that will kill you because they sneak up on you. And they will kill you. Um, but yeah, please do genuinely get in touch. Just info at seenthroughglass.com for that if you're in Australia and you've got some venue suggestions or, or ideas for our trip to Australia. Well, a lot of life admin. Should we get into some car chat? Yeah, because we're 25 minutes in. 25 minutes in. And we just talked about my life all that time. Uh, I sent you a super interesting article over the weekend. You did, yeah. Which you weren't able to read because it's behind a paywall. Uh, oh. So I'll talk to you about it now. Uh, about electrification in China. Yeah. China. Unsurprising to hear that China are, well, absolutely flying ahead. They're in front? With EV adoption. Yeah. I mean, just an EV tech, I think. Um, so this was an article in The Telegraph. And actually, the article was talking about the fact that EVs push, sorry, China's push towards uh, electric vehicles is uh, a warning, a threat, an issue for Saudi Arabia and the US. Obviously, big oil suppliers. Because China historically have been big oil importers. But because of their push towards renewable energy and electric vehicles, they demand or require less and less crude oil. Perfect. Uh, we can have it then. Well, yeah, theoretically. <laughs> but hopefully we're also going to be on that track towards renewable energy. Um, so, yeah, so, so that was a fascinating case study. But some of the stats or some of the things that I pulled out of the article, which I thought we could discuss. So, firstly, the two best-selling EVs in China... Uh, Firstly, the BYD, 22 grand. Are these Chinese companies? Chinese companies. So I think BYD's in Europe now, I think. Okay. But but Chinese cars, historically, even the petrol ones, they are very cheap. Yes, because they're able to make them very cheap. Doesn't necessarily mean they're good. <laughs> but but even so, so 22 grand. Good. And the second best is something called the Wuling Mini at four grand. Yeah, see, I think they've hit the nail on the head. I absolutely think that is the way forward for electric cars and it's why i think they're having a the, the the huge price dip that they're having in this country now because we've said before that for everyone for some people they're all right but for everyone they're they're less convenient and they're not as good as their petrol counterpart so when you put that in into mind or in the mix really they should be cheaper than the petrol car but they're not. They're more expensive. Like all new tech, though, right? Like all new tech. It, but but go on. But the thing is, is I, I actually think there will be a, a a used car future for electric cars. 
but when they become cheaper than petrol, yeah, or the 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 petrol equivalent equivalent. I think most manufacturers and most EV evangelists are saying that they realise that you know that that has to happen. Electric vehicles have to become at least the same price as combustion engine vehicles or, or cheaper yeah. for that mass adoption. And, and China clearly leaps and bounds ahead of us there. They they reckon that there'll be a forty percent electric vehicle market share by the end of the year and close to 80% by 2030. So they are just flying. I think Germany and the UK's market share is growing a little bit quicker, but because of the ramping up that's going on with the infrastructure and the manufacturing in China, they expect to overtake Germany and UK in terms of adoption yeah. very soon. I also wonder if we should take them figures with a pinch of salt as well, because like this country, did China... Is that registrations or is that delivered vehicles? I don't know. I think so, they sold 3.3 million electric vehicles last year. But Actually sold? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's sold or registered or whatever. Yeah. But but no matter what, I mean, th- th- let's not also forget they have a lot more people. <laughs> is it um, a, like, a, like a billion or something? It, I, I actually don't know the population of China. Um, it's huge though, right? It's huge, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, but, but fundamentally they're just doing... A lot of work in the space, which seems clever. They they produce ninety percent of solar panels for the world currently, and seventy percent of lithium output comes from China. But over and above that, they have these vast solar fields in parts of China that are trying to. I think I can't remember the number. It was some ridiculous like three thousand gigawatt generation that they want to get to by twenty thirty, which is like ridiculous. Blows everyone else out of the water. So they just seem to be far more aggressive in their electric strategy than the rest of the world. So yeah. when we sit here and we complain about infrastructure and manufacturing and raw materials, China are just kind of like bashing ahead in a, in a really quick way, which then also helps them produce cheaper EVs and more accessible, more renewable electricity. Well, they just made it in mass. They just, they've, they've just made a conveyor belt yeah. a lot quicker than the rest of the world. And some of that, mate, will be due to the volume of people in the world in the country you know we, there's only 70 or 80 million people in this country if there's a billion or more than that in china obviously they can scale it up quicker because they're going to sell more for sure the audience is bigger but one of the most fascinating parts of this article was the i, I had no idea neo who i had heard of i think neo did a super singer. a while ago no neo oh what singer yeah neo was a singer no was oh, it? Neo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not not, him. no. <laughs> <laughs> NIO. Oh. They have introduced battery swapping for electric vehicles. No. Uh, explain that to me. So they have, I think, or they're aiming to, or they have 3,000 odd stations in China. Like petrol stations? Like petrol stations. They look like boxes. They look like we buy any car boxes. You know, like basically you turn up, push a button on the car, it automatically self drives itself into the box, goes up on a lift, a machine unscrews the battery in the car, takes it out, screws in a new charge battery, and you drive away in three minutes. How long does that take? Three minutes. Three minute turnaround. Genius. Absolute genius. Genius. If you bought a Neo from a dealer, that is a completely free of charge service. Right. If you buy it used from Gravelwood Car Sales Shanghai, then you just get charged at the usual kilowatt per hour rate so if you turn up with a 20 percent battery you get charged 80 percent charging rate and the way it works is i think they've got like 312 batteries they can do 312 changes a day or something like that 
But obviously, if they take an old battery off, a 20% battery off, it then goes on charge. Then it can be replenished and put back into a different vehicle later on. Genius. So when you turn up, you can see, right, this, there's currently 10 batteries at this charging center. I want the one with 100%. I want the one with 30%, whatever's available, whichever costs cheapest or whatever. Uh, and if you can also say, okay, I want a fully charged one. It says, right, it'll be ready in an hour, sir. Which, okay, that defeats the point slightly. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, an absolute genius. And I think this is rolling out in Europe as well. I had no idea, but bravo, Neo. Now, my only thing is, is does this make sense in China? Because you say the scalability, what are the inherent costs and implications of that many batteries? But does that not really matter? Well, the the number of batteries isn't that many. Like you said, there'd be 10. So just recycling. They're just recycling. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cycling yeah. all and recharging and then it goes in another car. I guess basically. disaster if it goes wrong, but... There'll be some flaws, mate, for sure. 100% there'll be some flaws because they're... There's flaws in every business, right? There's always a problem. Sometimes you look at people's businesses and you go, flipping hell, they're having it off. Try and go and do their job. Yeah, oh, uh, mate. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's sometimes, in, every business is a problem. But do you think, can you foresee that being one solution for charging infrastructure issues, for delays, for range anxiety, if you just had a place that you could just pull in, three minutes, off you go? I mean, it definitely helps because that's how long it takes your food car up. So that's a tick from my point of view. That's good. But like you said, the more and more electric cars we have, they're not going to need 10 battery batteries. They're going to need even more. And then there's going to be a queue. Then they're not going to be fully charged. But it, uh, does it matter if there's a queue if it just takes three minutes? But it won't be three minutes, though, if there's a queue to get in the box. No, no, but you can go to very busy petrol stations and there's queues. But not, I mean, <laughs> fair. But how often do you sit at a pump, really? In go- central London, quite a few times I'll wait in a queue to get a, get to a pump. All right, what, mm. six, seven, eight, ten minutes? Yeah, but that might be the same with a, if it's three minutes. Yeah, I can't, honestly, I can't remember... And I do a lot of driving every day. I can't remember the last time I pulled in a petrol station and I queued behind someone to wait to go on a pump. Okay. Long, f- from my point, I mean, yeah. I do, you know, do driving in London as well. I probably don't fill up in London, though, to be fair. Always make sure. Well, just because it's <laughs> a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. I always make sure I fill out out of London. Maybe, maybe that's what I do. Maybe I di- uh, subconsciously just drive in a petrol station when I know it's free. Free. Maybe. That's what people do in electric yeah. cars. It depends how many there are around the area. I, I think it's a really, really interesting idea. Potentially genius. Potentially genius. And Nia seem to be doing a lot of stuff in China to 
try and make EV ownership as easy as possible and lots of clever ideas. And I think that's what I liked about this article is whilst it was actually trying to allude that, you know, this was a political move. It was the fact that actually I took out loads of things that go, well, yeah, oh, that makes sense. Like, duh. Yeah. Stuff which we seem to be sl- like sort of slightly slagging behind on, um, lagging behind on, sorry, here in, in the West. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I know we do go in on electric cars and stuff, to be fair to electric cars or electric in general, there's so many obstacles they've got to get over to get to the point to make them as good as a combustion car. Like we've said before, it took a hundred years to get to this point to make the combustion car basically perfect. So with that reckoning, all right, they've got the base on the electric car, but with that reckoning, that's all it's going to take to perfect an electric car. Potentially, even though they were electric cars 100 years ago. Um, but let's use that to move on and talk about engines. To talk about the combustion engine. Yeah. Because actually our main topic for today is the fact that I think an iconic engine is about to die. We'll come back to that in a second. Because before that, uh, when I was in Patagonia with Porsche, on the very first night, we had dinner with Marcos Marquez, who's uh-huh. head of the Porsche e-fuels project, but used to be an engine guy. I think first at Audi and then at Porsche. Right. And whilst we were at dinner, he started talking to us about these kind of engine projects that never saw the light of day. Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing information. I thought it was off the record. So I was like, oh, I can't really talk about this anywhere. And then Steve Sutcliffe, who was on the trip with us and sitting next to me at dinner, just like published a whole article on it. So <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, well, clearly this can be discussed, which is super exciting because it was a really cool chat. Uh, and I've just reminded myself of some of the details. But yeah, so first up, he spoke about a Porsche a project which, okay, so he claims as the engine department, they're not told what the engine is required for. They're just told, build this engine. Are they? Yeah. So he so. said, we don't know if it's going in a race car, a road car, whatever. We're just told, build the engine. We don't know anything else about but it. But that would make sense, that, mate, because if they're just trying to keep a, a, a model or a certain car secret, you want as least amount of people to know because that's how leaks come yeah. out, by the way. And why yeah. would the engine department need to know where it's going? I need to know. You just have to know the criteria. So this was... They developed a five-liter twin-turbo flat eight, circa seven hundred and fifty horsepower, around seven hundred and thirty pound foot of torque. When was that? This was, I think he said it was just before the seven eighteen came. And so, what we're talking about, twenty sixteen, seventeen, something like 2016, that. Twenty sixteen, yeah, roughly S- something like that. Fifteen, sixteen, yeah. Um, maybe a bit earlier, because don't forget the development phase for any of these vehicles is often. Miles behind. Yeah, exactly. So, or or miles earlier than the car comes out. So, yeah, 9,000 RPM, a red line, and it was linked to a manual gearbox. Wow. And it was put into a Cayman chassis, and they were doing running road tests with it. Oh, my God. Now, we surmised at the dinner, and sort of, you would assume that this was potentially going to go into some kind of hypercar. Now, whether that would have been a 918 successor or not, or or what, this was the kind of thought that it was going to go into some kind of higher mid-engined special Porsche. I I think possibly because around that time if my memory serves me right Porsche were talking about or there was whispers at least of making a mid-engine supercar yes. to compete with a 488 and a Lambo. You're right. Do I you remember completely that? forgotten that. Yeah. And it was it was about like going back to for. the 904 Carrera type thing, yes. you know, the old mid-engine race cars yeah. from Porsche. You are so right. That was, a, and they ditched it. 
And you know what he else, he alluded to, you know, those vision concepts that came out saying, oh, this is what Porsche could have done or blah, blah. He was like, well, some of them were legit projects. Why have they ditched that? Well, apparently they didn't ditch it entirely ah. because that's how we ended up with those slightly interesting four cylinders in the 718 Cayman and Boxster. Cut me off. Literally. <laughs> so they'd done all this work and developed this amazing engine and it was bolted to a Cayman chassis and they were like, okay, well, this, end, this, this has been scrapped. It's like, well, what can we do? Well, if we cut it in half, we've got this interesting little turbo four cylinder. Yeah, yeah. heck, let's use that. So really interesting. Got scrapped for whatever reason. Who knows why? They just went in a different direction. Yeah. So maybe they decided not to. I remember that now. Yeah. yeah. Those mid-engine. Oh, well. And, anyway. it, and it is amazing what, what a manufacturer does because we do know the, the research and the money that goes into building cars and the, and the engines and stuff. But you'll be so surprised of stuff like that. That, that huge acts, money in research just gets scrapped but then accidentally you 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 cut something in half and then you mass produce it and that's how they get their money back because they're not stupid these manufacturers you know they they make huge and huge profits throughout the year and i don't know if you else you remember do you remember rowan atkinson on top gear that time when he said they built the engine for the roller yes and it was it same uh, thing and they actually was put it a V16? Some, I think it was a V16 in a Phantom, and there's one of one, and they actually built it. They actually built it because yeah. it was in the film, and it yeah. was actually there in, in, in the studio. And um, it worked completely fine because they'd built it actually for that car and then threw it away. Yeah, their plan was to, I think it was a V16, to put that in the, the Phantom. Yeah. And then it never happened, but Rowan Williams knew... Rowan, yeah, knew about the project. Rowan Atkinson. Sorry, what was I saying, Rowan Williams? I, knew, I it sounded wrong when I said it. That's why I hesitated. I was like, who's Rowan Williams? <laughs> you meant Robbie Williams. Thank all, you. All, all yeah. went wrong. All went wrong. <laughs> yeah, nine litre V6 engine. V16 engine. God, yeah. I can't get my words out today. But um, yeah, so you're right. There'll be so many of these projects, which we never hear about. Yeah. But get developed to an extreme, like it, basically to be road ready yeah and then scrapped at the last minute and then we end up seeing it a different form but also i bet roller rolls royce i bet they used the basis of that engine cut it in half and put it in something else put it in a wraith or some you, you know what i mean because maybe that's how that that's how they come up with these ideas in yeah. the first place yeah well I, I i guess it was to do with smoothness and displacement or what i mean yeah V16. And why we're talking about engines, because I love talking about engines, okay. by the way. <laughs> all excited. <laughs> BMW are the best at it. Because loosely, that straight six engine, the engine that's in your car, yeah. the B58 engine, which is possibly, we said it before, one of the best engines around, they've been making their engines for 40 years. Loosely. Sure. It's in, it's mad. <laughs> Madness. But brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, that, hopefully you'll like this next story because the other thing that Marcus let us in on was the fact that they were plans at Audi to do a baby R8 at one stage for the second generation R8. So not the not the facelift of the first gen, but the second gen, the one that you and I test drove, that orange one that you and I test drove. The one that I had, one of them. Oh, okay. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you? Um, How dare you? To put the TTRS five-cylinder engine in there and, and have it as uh, an entry-level, lightweight, manual, rear-wheel drive R8. So that would that would basically be a replacement, 
probably the old V8 manual. That was the idea. So, because yeah. obviously for the second generation, you just got V10 or V10 Plus. Correct. You? Yeah. So they wanted to have this baby RA exactly that that would still be a sort of entry level, a cheaper version, but they were going to put the five cylinder, so manual gearbox, rear wheel drive, light on its toes. So a bit like Lotus are doing with the Amira. Yeah. You had the full blooded one and then a baby AMG engine. Yeah. There, but I actually think that would have been a great formula. I mean, it would have been a, just a bit more of a fruity TTRS, wouldn't it? But rear wheel drive and manual Ma- gearbox. Manual gearbox, yeah. yeah. What a cool car that could have been. Yeah. While we're on the subject, I know we're going to talk about it a bit more, but while we're on the subject of Audi V10s, I've got one in stock at the moment, a, a, a V10, and I'm not plugging it. I'm just <laughs> saying I drove it the other day and they're incredible value now, mate. How much? How much is that? It's for? like seventy-five grand. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got all the bits on it, and it literally still feels like a. Even for me to say it, it still feels like a modern, full-on supercar. It's just a like a mega bit of kit. Even looks modern. Yeah. Oh, I think after that second generation onwards, it's quite hard to tell. Like, oh, where was that? oh my God, that was seven years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, time just kind of flew and they didn't make too many drastic changes. Still sounds the bomb. Performance is nuts. All-wheel drive or quattro so you can just go anywhere, anytime. Yeah. Audi's uh, user interface, that always is so forward-looking or future-looking. Well, do you remember that? Futuristic. When they when they bring the TT and the, the R8 out, that's when they started having the digital dashes. Yes. But, but I mean... Some cars haven't even got that now. No, I know. Do you know what I mean? And it's seven years. So when you get in it, it, it does all look familiar, but it does all look really modern Audi. It's mad. Well, it, yes. I can't believe you're actually saying positive things about a modern classic. Uh, it's not a modern classic. <laughs> no, it is. You've thrown me right off. Uh, but you mentioned the engine, and that is the sort of main meaty topic for today, the V10, because obviously Audi have now finished with the R8. They released that final edition. Yeah. The Huracan is about to cease production. We're seeing the last few variants of it now. And that's probably yeah, yeah. going to go into some kind of hybrid or maybe a smaller sized engine, a V8 or... But, but really? Do you, do you think that they'll do that, Audi? I still think they still will have a V10, no? Do you? You think and it'll I, be a hybrid V10? Yeah, because look at the new Revuelto. Revuelto. That, that's still a V12, but a hybrid. But I think that's because it's the flagship car, a bit like with Ferrari and the and the eight twelve. I think that there'll always be a V twelve at Ferrari. Okay. But then the mid engine, the V eight car became a V six hybrid. So I would assume the Huracan's been going to become a V six or V eight hybrid. Well, it 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 would make absolutely perfect sense for them to put like a tuned RS six engine in that uh, Hurricane. The V8, the V8 turbocharged engine. From oh, a, from a, hold on a second. Evo have said the V10 will live on in the upcoming Lamborghini Huracan it, replacement. Yeah. Well, that's just completely ruined my entire... No, it hasn't. <laughs> no, it hasn't. Because at some point it will die. So I'm, I, I, I do really like the V10, but until you get it up in the revs, it's a, quite a lazy engine, a V10. So a bit confusing here because it said... This is another article now on Motor One saying that the the Huracan successor will adopt a twin turbo V8. I think basically no one really knows. Yeah. But let, let's stick with the thought that there is a chance that the V10 engine is about to die. Well, that, it is going to at some point. Yeah, and it is going to at some point because yeah. it could be that the Huracan is the last car using it. Yeah. 
which is kind of crazy because it's, it's actually been a little bit of a short life cycle for the V10, if you think about it. Didn't really start coming into road cars until the early 90s, probably as a result of it being developed so much in motorsport, in Formula One, when they are start using V10s, even though it was the Americans who kind of used V10s first. Mm. It took a while for the Europeans to catch up. And even then, it was Audi and BMW, people who weren't really in Formula One at the time. So yeah. you can probably track it as like proof that, okay, a V10 can work, yeah. but it's not necessarily as clear cut as flappy paddle gearboxes coming down through yeah. Ferrari and yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they've always been quite niche. They've always been in sort of slightly bespoke sports or supercars. Yeah. Apart from the M5, I suppose, and a few... There was an RS6 V10. Yeah, a few like luxury sedans. Yeah. Um, Didn't um, didn't the 7 Series and the... uh, Was there an S8 or something like that with a V? Something like that, yeah. Like, there have been some weird V10s along the way, but otherwise you've got, you know, Carrera GT, LFA, yes, Huracan, R8. Yeah. But it's probably a handful. Yeah. It's quite a weird engine. I don't think it's the best. Mm. Personally, I I actually think the V8 is the best engine. I, for me, the V8 is the one hands yeah, down. I, I, I think that's that's yeah. the engine for... And a V12, yeah, is good. But for efficiency and what it does and power output, I, 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 the V8 is the best. And I th- But I think that's exactly it because I think the V10, as you say, if you rev the tits off it, and in certain situations, definitely more motorsport-derived situations, hence Carrera GT, sure, you can make it make sense. But in the world that we're in now, with efficiency being the key... I think it's quite I, heavy as well, mate. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it doesn't... I understand why it's going out of fashion, but because it's going to potentially have this short life cycle, is it really in our, our generation that are going to care about it? Like, if you're someone who's into 50s, 60s and 70s cars... Probably never, V10's never really on your radar. And hey, if you're growing up now, so few, few V10's around, do you really care? I like V10's because when I started watching Formula 1, all they were using were V10's. Yeah, and they do sound good, a V10. They have got a lovely... Shouty tone. A nice pitch to them, yeah. They, they have got a nice noise. And and I always really do associate a V10 with the Lambo and the R8. They're yeah. the two cars that I really associate a v10 with yeah you got the m5 um i don't think that was a great engine that i i well, think in the, the in the m5 yeah, yeah i i think the uh the v10 engine in the lambo and the audi well, same engine isn't it but in that sto i mean when you get that thing singing it is nuts it was same as a perf i oh. mean it, it's you know proper engine it well it is yeah but it's like until you get it really up in the revs, like it is a little bit of a. They ain't got. They haven't got loads and loads of torque. Um, a, a V8. A, I don't think you can go wrong with a V8. Do a little bit more research here, because and I you just, turbocharge a V8. I mean, yeah. Well, that, I mean, could you turbocharge a V10? You could. <laughs> what would yeah, happen if you wanted to die? <laughs> I just wanted to have a quick look, Lamborghini. I came up with my own little conspiracy just then. I'm going to just check. Oh no, because I was going to say in our conversation earlier about. Engines being developed, then scrapped and used in a different way. Obviously, Lamborghini had a half-hearted attempt at building a Formula One engine at one point, didn't they? Did they? Yeah. Uh, it was put into a McLaren, and Ayrton Senna drove around in a right. Lamborghini-engined McLaren. And I thought, oh, maybe that's how we ended up 10 years later with the V10 going in the Gallardo. Yeah, yeah. But no, it was a V12. <laughs> so, because it's quite strange that Lambo really sought out that engine, I mean, through their group, you know, showing it with the Audi. But, 
interesting that they really saw that. I mean, they are really the flag bearers for V10s, if you think about it. Well, it was in the Gallardo yeah. Yeah, yeah. first, but it was Audi had already took ownership of Lambo by then, yes, right? Yes, that was like their first collaborative project, wasn't it? Because that predate didn't the Gallardo predate the Aventador? Or did the Aventador predate the... Uh, the Gardo was there first, then the Aventador come, but it yeah. was the Mercialago before then. Oh, Audi were involved with the Mercialago? No, that was when they... That, yeah, that was the crossover, that right? That was the crossover. I think the Gallardo was the first fully... Let's just fact and, check And ourselves. they put a V10 in it? Yeah. I wonder why they done that. Because uh, Audi had V8s then. Maybe they just wanted it more sure. Audi bought Lamborghini in 1998. Yeah, so when did... Uh, and as of 2011, it was a full subsidiary. Um, and so then vehicles... When did the Gallardo turn up? Was it 2005, six? 2004, time? I think. Yeah, 2004. Yeah. Um, and Aventador was launched 2010, was it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, 2011. 10, yeah. Yeah, so Gallardo was well before that. Well before the Aventador, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm 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 pretty sure that the the Mercialago was the crossover car where there was a bit of Audi in it, but started Lambo, but a bit of Audi. Sure, from memory. But anyway, as I say, whether they choose to keep that engine on with the Vita, with the Huracan or not, it's just something that very quickly has gone out of fashion. And was it ever really in fashion? Ah, that's a good question. That's the problem mm. because. Really, no one uses it apart no from one, the Audi group. Yeah, no one really jumped on the V10. It's just a bit of a weird one. Where V12s have, well, are still going strong, really, aren't they? If you think about it, but they always have done. Yeah, you know, like when when you look at old Lambos, they were always V12. Old Ferraris, they were V12s. Even even the you know the early Ferraris were V6s, weren't they? Were they V8s? Then V6s? Then went back to V8s, didn't they? Some of the early Ferraris. Well, for like Dinos and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no one used V10s, apart from, like you said, the LFA and then BMW <laughs> decided to... Yeah, stick it in an M5. Stick it in an M5. The Carrera GT, as we know, is a motorsport drive on, which makes sense. Given yeah. The motorsport. I mean, it, it, it's a... It's a d- d- is the V... Should everyone experience a V10 or own a V10 at some point in their life? Or is it just... I don't a think b- it's that necessary, yeah. mate. But, I mean, the thing is, the thing is like... Most people really can't afford a hundred odd grand yeah. supercar to experience it. And apart from going and buy an old M5 or an old Audi, which I don't advise, by the way, just to experience the V10, because there are better cars out there. Yeah. The, the the previous M5, which was the manual V8, that's a much better car than that V10, in well, my opinion. Because V8s are brilliant. I, I'm sort of with you. I've set this all up as like, oh, the V10 said, I don't think I care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, wait, there's another car. There's another car with a V10, that McLaren Solus GT thing. You know, that track only, uh, do they call it hypercar? You know, that's, that, it was like, it was part of Gran Turismo and then they're like, actually going to build it. It's like a single seater McLaren When Solus. was that? It came out like last year, something like that. This thing. Can you see that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that a V10? That's going to have a V10. It's got a Judd V10. It's like an old Le Mans engine. Uh, loose. Oh, yeah, because originally, didn't we all think, because 
that the the crossover with Audi may be buying McLaren. Yes, and that and then we thought, oh, he's going to put the V10. Yeah, in that we thought car. it was the Audi V10, but it's not. It's, it's a, not. It's still a five point two liter, but it's not the Audi V10 engine. Yeah. It's a weird, yeah, X Motorsport, yeah, Judd F, like not F1, but Le Mans engine. But so somebody else. I mean, but again, I mean, it's a track only. So they've clearly got their benefits V10 engines in a sort of motorsport track only situation mm. as a road car engine it's clearly it's not really been especially because you can turbocharge a v8 i mm. mean you're right who turbocharges a v10 no one there well, must be a reason for that yeah let us know in the comments it, uh, do you care about v10s are we alone in being like well yeah i mean they're cool but who cares who cares yeah. i don't think i'm gonna say if somebody told me that there were no more v8s i would cry because i genuinely love a v8 no i think i love a v8 more than i love a v12 uh, me too. Yeah. I, I I genuinely do think the, the the V8 is the is the is the best engine. Full stop. There, are, I'm often left disappointed by a V12. No, I wouldn't say that because they vary so much. So for me, right, five nine nine GTO, arguably one of my favourite V12s, just based on its sound. But then you get in a Phantom. Sure, it's impressive. Mm. Emotionally, I'm not that tied to that engine. I'll yeah, be honest. because Merck do do a V12 in the well, S the, class or whatever. The right? SL65 Black Series twin turbo V12. Yeah. By the way, 670 horsepower and a thousand newton meters of torque in 2009. <laughs> Terrifying. Make the world go around the other way. Oh, literally. <laughs> but that's the thing is that there's the V12 seems to be an engine that can be so different depending on displacement and turbo, non-turbo. Mm. So much where the V8, I just feel, is far more recognisable. Like, you get in a V8 car, you're like, oh, there's that engine. Yeah. And depending on how they set it up, because obviously you get low-revving V8s and high-revving V8s. Ferrari always have normally high-revving. And again, Mercedes with that twin-turbo V8 engine, obviously, I think that's, again, that's one of the best engines full stop. That that V8 twin-turbo engine. Not the the 6.2... The 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 bi turbo the, the 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 four 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 liter the four, four liter, liter. Yeah. I think that's an well, unbelievable <laughs> engine that car. No, I'm with you. So if the V10 is about to go between V12, V8, and V6, yeah, what do we think is going to go next? Please not V8. I I say please not V8 as well. But we've just said how great it is, how brilliant it is, how much we love it. If you think about it, it is also kind of dying because people are moving away from it. Merck. With the AMG, the, the C, uh, oh my God, people, help me out today. I'm dying. <laughs> C63. Thank you. Ferrari. Um, Ferrari, moving away, going to the V6. Who else has ditched a V8? There'll be other people. EcoBoost Mustangs, but they still do offer a V8. But do you, like, yeah. I actually think the V8 could be next because the V12 is clinging on because brands like Ferrari, Rolls-Royce can make it work. BMW, ditched the V8 from the yes. M3 to the... Oh no, the V8's gonna go. <laughs> the V8's let's start a campaign. Let's do an episode next week on V8 dying. <laughs> no, no, let's start a campaign. Save the V8. V8. The best engine ever. But it won't make sense because if you hybrid V8 or if you, you know, it's, it's always gonna go smaller, aren't you? You're gonna go four cylinder, you're gonna go V6 or whatever, six cylinder, but a V8, it's just too big and hunky and chunky. Mm. The best engine ever, but it's gonna go next. I'd be like that. It is, mate. Right, we've got to start a campaign. It's a disaster. 
we can sit here and bang on about how synthetic fuels is going to save it, but I think people are fed up <laughs> of us talking about synthetic fuels. <laughs> Got to give it a break for a while. Um, well, anyway, that brings you up to date with, with our life and the end of the life of the V10. Or and the V8. And probably the V8. <laughs> my God. Um, but yeah, just a reminder, as I say, we are looking for a researcher slash producer. Uh, skills required are hopefully some video editing skills uh, and an incessant knowledge of the automotive world past and present and the availability one or two days a week, uh, ideally in the southeast of England. Email jobs at seenthroughglass.com. Uh, live show dates. Let's rattle through them one more time so you can put them in your diary. We will be showing more info as much as as soon as we can. Sorry. Uh, 25th of June is the first one. Uh, then we move on to the 30th of July, 27th of August, 17th of September, and then finally the 29th of October before we then head to Australia for Behind the Glass live tour in November. Mm. So lots to look forward to, including the rest of Test Drive Month on the main channel. Uh, I already talked about the cars that are going to be doing on that and then some adventures into Europe which Tony's going to be coming to join me. So we're going to be doing quite a few episodes in May and into June, I think. We're going to do a few episodes abroad, aren't we? Lovely. So I come to see you in Spain as well, aren't I? You are, yeah. Yeah, so we'll be we'll be I'm recording remotely. At the end of the month, I'm going, oh, I, can't, I can't wait you to go away. Like you? I am. Yeah. Well, we this weather been, is this? Yeah, it's a disaster, mate. I haven't been away since September as well. Like, it's a long slog. A long slog, mate. Mm. Uh, anyway, so subscribe now and turn on notifications if you're watching us here on YouTube. If you want to join in on live streams of these recording sessions, and get involved in the live chat. You can do that at recast.tv forward slash behind the glass. If you want to follow Tony, he's at Tony Gravelwood Car Sales on most social media platforms. I'm at Seen Through Glass on most social media platforms. And we'll be back with you with another episode next week. Bye-bye. See y'all.